I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. You're listening to our daily podcast edition of the show. I'm delighted to welcome the director of the Really American Pack to our program today, Justin Harwitz. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Alex. Your Really American Twitter feed and Facebook network have been explosive in generating a strong opposition message to the Trump regime. Uh, can you tell us how you started it? Yeah, so we uh, started a few months ago, a uh, few of us just talking about the need for um, kind of a digital counterbalance to everything Trump was doing. So I ran a uh, somewhat of a hyper-partisan news network on Facebook and realized that the majority of what Trump was doing and what he had done in 2016 was Twitter-based um, in terms of trying to control the narrative. So we came up with about two months ago, just the idea that we should try to do some videos um, attacking Trump and trying to get things to trend all in his own words. Um, and it kind of just took off after uh, our first video and now Twitter has kind of become the hub of the operation. What would you say has been the most effective video that you've produced so far? And I ask you this with roughly 70 days left in the campaign. I think probably the Saudi Trump one. Uh, it's a little, it's a little racy. It's a little uh, tough to watch for some people, but I think, I think it exposes the heart of the problem with with Trump is that he's he's putting himself first and his business interests first, and I also think that it, it that that video in particular tries to eat away at its his uh, evangelical base um, that he's partnering with people who are taught to hate Christians. Uh, we included that in there on purpose. And in terms of efficacy, so translating dynamic videos like yours, the Lincoln Projects, the Midas Touch videos into votes, into grassroots mobilization. Are you designing your videos with the hope or intent that votes will materialize, that people will galvanize and mobilize as a result of watching your videos? Absolutely, and I think, I think it all starts with, you know, People get energized and pumped up when they watch these videos, and I think that's important for you know getting people to vote. A lot of people don't like Trump. A lot of people would vote for Biden if it were really easy to vote, but they're not quite motivated enough to actually pull the trigger on ordering a ballot, on going to the voting booth. And so I think that strictly in terms of mobilization of the base, uh, this translates into votes, but we're, we've also launched a project combined with uh, Demcast called Rescue Our Votes, which we're gonna roll out in the next week, which is basically a massive voter education um, initiative in seven swing states, basically letting people know that they must have their ballots postmarked by October 20th. So we're hoping that that does, you know, has significant impact on um, getting people to vote and making sure their votes are counted uh, with everything that's going on with the USPS. Justin, you are the best person to ask as someone who lives in real life, but also 
has a robust social media presence, how much of what transpires on Facebook and Twitter and your estimation is real? The perception, if you were just to listen to your videos or watch your videos, Lincoln Project, Midas Touch videos, we would be living in one orbit. And then if you watched the video on YouTube as we speak, which is a Trump campaign propaganda video, and if you were a Trump cultist, you would respond favorably and affectionately to that. So I really wanted you to weigh in on how much of the division is, do you think is not just a manifestation of social media, but is truly America today? Well, I think a lot of the division truly is, I mean, well, look, angry people click more and social media has set it up. So everybody's got their own echo chamber. So they it's certainly created, helped um, create and exacerbate this, this whole dual reality situation we find ourselves in right now. But I think that the largest, um, the, most, the most important factor in, in the creation of this, and I, I do like the term dual realities because I don't think it's uh, division. I think people are actually living in different realities. I think that's, that's just Trump. That's, um, the, the creation of an alternate reality um, on purpose so that when, when, if and when he does something egregious or something comes out about his taxes or anything, nobody will believe anything because they live in their own reality and we live in our own reality. So they're kind of synergistic forces, Trump putting his thumb on the scale to try and create an alternate reality and then social media algorithms being conducive to that type of pressure. Nevertheless, Justin, you have in public opinion surveys an electorate that by only a measure of, of 30%, a minority will say they approve of Trump's conduct. So the divisiveness that is pitting arguments against each other, the DNC versus the RNC or really American versus a America first pack, you know, that, that really doesn't represent the fact that a healthy majority of Americans are embodied in your convictions, in Lincoln Project's convictions, in the Democratic ticket. I'm sorry, can you repeat that? It, what, I'm at, what I'm getting at is the fact that there is the appearance of division, Justin, but in actuality, when 30 to 40 max percent of the American people approve of Trump's conduct, the ads that you're producing and some of your brethren in this movement, this opposition movement, really represent the vast majority of people. So we, the social media may inspire the appearance of division, but in reality, isn't it the case that most folks would more affirmatively respond to your message or Lincoln Project's message than Trump and his messages. Sure, I think most people or a majority of people, um, yeah, are stuff that the Lincoln Project's doing, stuff that we're doing, uh, would, would a, people would approve of. And, and like you just said, most people don't approve of Trump's conduct. 30% of people may, may approve of Trump's conduct, but his approval ratings are higher than that. And I think he ends up getting, you know, more of the vote than that. So what, whether people approve of his conduct, 
isn't necessarily the greatest measure of whether people approve of him and his presidency. Uh, I would, and I would say that Trump isn't really playing for, you know, 50%. He's playing for that 30%. He's, he's playing for his base. So I, I, I think on, on that issue, sure, you know, there's, there's broad consensus that Trump's conduct, at least among those who aren't his militant base, is unacceptable. But how much that factors into how divided this country is, I don't know. Um, right. And, and my point is that there is a way in which the social media algorithms and the monetization of social media, I mentioned before, during the DNC and now apparently during the RNC as well, if you go to YouTube, the homepage, Trump has leased that out. You know, Trump is owning YouTube. The, the, and the, the legitimizing of the factless, you know, the baseless propaganda and, and the verification of folks on Twitter who get affirmation from fellow travelers in the dis and misinformation uh, stench you know, that that brings it to a level when mainstream media are forced to put on the air the lie after lie after lie. There's something that brings to that uh, a credibility, like it, it is mano y mano. And in this country, you know, the lie has just as much of, of relevance and just as much weight behind it as as does the truth. And, and that's really what I'm getting at and just wanted you to comment on because there's always this question of, is Twitter real life? And I think more and more the answer is yes, but I wanted you to weigh in on that. Yeah, I think, I think social media platforms and things like Twitter are real life in the sense that you can absolutely figure out what you know, different groups of people connect with on, you know, a very visceral level. It's, it's like a, a, a polling mechanism, so to say, but there's also a great, a great, uh, there's a lot of groupthink going on in Twitter where you may not agree with something, but because you see other people starting to agree with it, you know, you, you jump on the bandwagon and like and retweet it just to show others that you are of the same, you know, have the same opinion. And I think what we all thought before 2016, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like this, the whole silent majority thing with Trump, where you'll get all these people that you think agree with something, but they're really staying silent and they like Trump, but they're agreeing with, you know, whatever is said on these social media platforms because they don't want to be scorned. So yes, I think Twitter's be becoming more and more real life, but I, I think at the same time, we've got to be wary of um, people feel pressured uh, when they see a, a consensus belief growing on the platform. They oftentimes just simply hide how they feel and, and won't express it, but, but they will at the ballot box. Um, yeah, I'm not... It's becoming more and more of real life. And I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't think it's a good thing. Uh, but I think we should also be. Yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. No, you, you know, and, and helpfully you are on the side of facts. You are on the side of constructive opposition that is seeking to inform people. But do you ever feel like we're falling into the fatalism trap of 
um, pr pr predicting the kind of authoritarian takeover of the country? Uh, or do you really think that that is plausibly what could transpire this fall? Well, it could certainly, it could certainly transpire this fall just, just because, you know, honestly, I just look at history. Um, the creation of this dual reality, which Republicans have been paving the way for for some time, and I think it started with their climate denial. Um, but the dual reality is like the hallmark sign of impending fascism, where you've got a chunk of society you're trying to convince and you're not really concerned about it being 50% of society because you don't believe in, you know, a democratic majority, you believe in a powerful 30%. That, that tends to be pretty indicative of whether a society is heading towards that type of authoritarianism. And so in that sense, when I see Trump creating this alternate reality where he says the media is the enemy of the people, uh, don't believe what you're seeing and what you're hearing, it would, it would be naive to think that, no, we, we can't go there when everything he's done up until this point has made it pretty clear he's ready to go there. And he's already said, if he loses the election, he's not going to accept the results in so many words. So I, right. I don't there, think we, we, there, there definitely is an awakening um, that many of us have already been exposed to and are prepared to save the country, to save the republic, to to save uh, our freedom um, and, and to expect that um, Trump will govern as an authoritarian and will um, accordingly de deny uh, election results that do not reelect him. And, and should he be duly elected, that he will uh, ramp up the authoritarianism. So to that end, what would you like to see accomplished in the media ecosystem, specifically where you are so prolific and persuasive on Facebook's Twitter, social media? Is there something that hasn't been achieved in terms of just a number of followers or a kind of specific message that you would like to the, the campaign to culminate on um, that, that would be helpful in, in, in you know, preventing the worst case scenario, which is um, not that Trump refuses to, to leave. I think that, that that we actually may still have the Democratic Foundation to, to withstand that, um, but that he actually is elected in what is perceived to be a legitimate election. So when, in, when it comes to your media productions, is there anything that you haven't made yet that you would like to make uh, or that you would encourage others to make? And, and then in terms of testing that and deciding whether the media are going to translate into votes, are there ways that we can analyze the metrics and, and make some determinations about whether your viral videos are in fact gonna translate into votes? Well, figuring out whether our, our viral videos translate into votes, I, I don't, I don't really know how one can, you know, figure out those metrics, right? I think it's more if, if people can get if people can get energized enough, whether that's 
through you know being pumped up about Biden and Harris or being that scared of Trump you know being motivated enough to vote is what it's all about and so what we try to do is is motivate motivate people to act in terms of what I see in the media that or campaigns that I that I don't like or that I'd like to see more of I think that um, pretty much everyone, the establishment is getting it wrong again, and they're running the same campaign they ran in 2016, which is basically that in order to beat the Republicans, we need to be more like them. And uh, running away from our base, which I think is just a fatal, a fatal flaw, um, that there aren't as many of these moderate Republicans out there that we think they are. And it really turns off our base when you put people, you know, in my opinion, like Colin Powell and all these people who lied to get us into the war in Iraq out as the poster children for, oh, look, he supports Joe Biden um, instead of pumping people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, who energize, you know, the people we actually need to vote and who actually have considerable numbers. Um, versus this whole myth, mythical moderate conservative. It's exactly what Hillary tried to do with Mike Bloomberg and uh, all the never Trumpers in 2016, and we're doing it again. And I think it, if Biden loses, which is a big if, it will be for that reason, a, a miscalculation on um, who to pander to. Hmm. It's gotta be our base. Yeah, I, I, that, I think that's really insightful. Um, you know, it's interesting to reflect on the autopsy that the Republicans did, um, and you know they veered in the opposite direction, which was in 2012 losing that election and saying we need to moderate, we need to be more inclusive, more empathetic, and they go in the direction of Trump, which is the absolute opposite. Um, you know, with respect to a midterm election for a president's re-election with the incumbent in, in office. The Democrats have made the calculation that you described, which is, you know, there, but, but there is some evidence that the 2018 results in replacing um, Republicans in the House in particular um, with candidates who were primarily center left and not far left, um, that that worked and that worked to the effect of Speaker Nancy Pelosi. So I hear what you're saying, and I often think the same thing you are, but 2018 does provide some evidence to the contrary. Sure, sure. I mean, it, it also provides, you know, evidence that the opposite is true, right? When, when the squad got elected, um, there is a civil war within the Democratic Party right now. And if Twitter is real life, or if these social media platforms are picking up on where we're where we're headed or where the energy is, um, the current Democratic Party leadership isn't gonna be there for much longer. That, that's also, I think, a fair assessment. But dealing with the cards you have, which is a Biden-Harris ticket, which was enthusiastically supported at the convention, more so than in 2016, by the likes of Sanders and Warren. Dealing with the ticket you have, with knowing the debates forthcoming, and the media war online and on TV, uh, let me just reiterate the question that I asked previously, which is what, since you can't really tie viral videos to votes precisely, um, what hasn't been accomplished 
in, in the media um, ecosystem um, that has been so plagued by Donald Trump's mis and disinformation that you would like to see that could be in the form of specific ads. Most of the ads that Lincoln Project, Midas Touch, and you are producing are on TV now. So it's not like there's a disconnect between more fiery ads online and that are not appearing on TV. But I'm just wondering, you know, in the environment in which folks are voting against Trump more than they're voting for Biden, they're voting for America to save America and not for Biden, but against Trump, what has, what still could be done to help amplify that message that hasn't been done yet? Well, I, I think that what needs to be done is a very, is simply educating everyone. You know, there's a lot of people that plan on voting by mail. Um, People need to understand if their ballots, and Ted Lieu said something about this, that if, if, and particularly about uh, the date people need their ballots postmarked as being October 20th or October 22nd. All of these ads, all the persuasion, all these focus groups everybody does will become a moot point if our ballots are not counted. Um, people like to talk about the USPS a lot, but what they're not saying is that we basically have people in the USPS saying, get your ballots in early, they should be postmarked by this date if they want to be counted. That should almost be the only mission at this point, because if, if Democrats vote, they win. And I think that's generally true in every single election. People are motivated this election. Um, I kind of think that the biggest project from now until the election should be a massive voter education um, initiative, which is why that's kind of what we're doing on a state-by-state -state basis with this Rescue Our Votes project with Demcast. Uh, because, yeah, no, nobody's talking about that. Every, everybody talks about the shock and awe of all these ads and how the USBS is being sabotaged, but they've postal workers have let us know and members of Congress have let us know this is how we can get around that and still have, you know, the remnants of a fair election or, you know, and it should be repeated every day, get your ballot in by October 20th if you are voting by mail. Otherwise it won't be counted, period. Absolutely, and, and to that effect, you're talking about a massive voter registration and uh, mobilization. Uh, as a final question, Justin, does it concern you, the environment of the pandemic, which has prevented a lot of the more traditional um, door knocking and outreach that we would see in communities? Sure, but at the same time, I'm, for the presidential race, I don't think people are convinced at the door. Um, Trump's not knocking a lot of doors this time around, but in 2016, he really didn't do any of that. They just went with straight up media. So I think controlling the media narrative is significantly more important. And so I think it's been, it's, you know, we're lucky that there have been a number of organizations that have kind of arisen grassroots to try and control some of the narrative on Twitter and these other platforms where, you know, they told us, Brad Parscale said, Twitter is how he's talked to people. Facebook is how he won. Uh, so I don't, I don't, necessarily see it as such a such a terrible thing that we can't knock doors on for local races it's terrible um 
for the presidential, I don't think it has much of an effect at all. Justin Horwitz, director of the Really American PAC. I hope you come back during the debates and, and uh, talk candidly with us about messaging. Thanks for your time today. Thanks a lot, Alex. Take care.